Today's passage is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So you can turn there in your Bibles or your apps and really be looking at that to see what it is that I'm talking about. But before we read that passage, I want to quote the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. He gave this speech in the spring, and this is what he said. He said, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. He calls loneliness and isolation an epidemic. You know, like the one we kind of like, COVID is now an epidemic. Then he goes on to say, given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way we have prioritized building other critical public health issues such as tobacco, obesity, substance use disorders. Basically, what he is saying is the reality of isolation and loneliness is such a detriment, and he goes on in his speech to talk about this, it is such a detriment to all of the other health factors of a person that one of the biggest crises facing America today is loneliness. And that what we should do, and he's a doctor, like he's, he's a, just a medical doctor who's, I don't know, he became the surgeon general. That's pretty amazing. The general surgeon of the whole United States. But he's just a medical doctor who's supposed to treat people and their health concerns, you know, about diabetes and taking blood work and all of these things. And yet he's saying, this is such a big deal. We should you know, prioritize this and go about it the same way we've done drug abuse, the same way we've tackled obesity, tobacco use, all of these other things that harm society so much. We should put that kind of energy into it because the effects are so big. One of the things that I find, I chuckle just like a little bit in it because he uses medical terms to be like, you know, we need to prioritize building social connection. And really what he's saying is America needs friends. You know, in the same way you might look at yourself or somebody you know, it's like, they just really need some friends. Uh, We are, as a society, desperate for community. In American culture, friends are typically, and relationships are typically seen as a bonus. Like the foundation of your life has to be shelter, getting a house and a good house, and then maybe you can add a career, then you can add significance in that career, then you can add the clothes that you wear and the status that you achieve and and how you present yourself into the world, that is all important. And if along the way, some of those big connections you make in work or in society, if they produce friends or meaningful relationships, that's great. Friendship is just a bonus. But to the Greeks and then the Romans, who the Romans just copied the Greeks in almost everything, but for them, friendship was actually the foundation of society. That if you were to build a society, you start with friends. And that's what the philosophers dedicated themselves to speaking about. Cicero and Plutarch, they have essay after essay. And these are high-level philosophers that have impacted all of our thinking in Western society. But they wrote essay after essay about friendship. Uh, it's, It's kind of funny how much they wrote about friendship, but what we kind of take from them is how to reason and do logic and how to think about the purpose of life and the meaning of life, but they seem more concerned with friendship. Uh, Aristotle, you know, one of, there's like three big pillars of philosophy. You know, you've got uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. 
Aristotle was all about it. He a considerable portion of all of his writing is around the topic of friendship. And he came up with three types of friends. He, he looked at it all, he analyzed it, and he said, there's three types of friends. And this is really the foundation of the society that, that Paul is writing to in the church in Philippi. First, there's friends of utility. Friends that you have because they give something to you that you need. A purely utilitarian arrangement like I have a need, they have a need. We have this symbiotic kind of relationship. As in, you know, I had this friend in Portland. He had a pickup truck. His name was Jonathan. We were friends because he had a pickup truck, you know, and we need to move stuff around. So it was like, hey, Jonathan, remember, let's go get a beer. And then... Can you help me move, right? Friends of utilitarian purpose. Or we had a friend, Josh. He had worked in this industry with concerts and stuff. So he was just our connection to concerts. And, it was a, and he also liked hanging out with us. And we would give him, you know, vegetables from our garden. And we would get to go see concerts up close and personal. That kind of friends. It's what the Beatles were talking about when they said, I get by with a little help from my friends. That that's friendship, that kind of friendship, one of mutual needs. Friends help each other out. We meet needs for each other. This, the second type of friend is a friend of pleasure. And not like some weird thing, but just like pleasure of you enjoy and you like the same things. A friendship that's based on, oh, we have these hobbies and these likes and these tastes. That's what it is. And Aristotle called this necessary friendship. It's just like when you're little and you're a kid and you go up to this other kid in the playground, you say, oh, can I play with you? And then they say yes. And you're like, this is my friend. Like the amount of times my kids come to me, you know, when they were smaller and played at playgrounds more, they would come to me, oh, I made four friends. Oh, what are their names? I don't know. But I went and said, do you want to play? And they said, yes. And we played and we had fun. So they're my friends. That kind of friend. Or someone you're like, oh, we really like climbing and he likes climbing. So we're going to go and we're going to be friends who climb, right? That sort of relationship that Aristotle said is necessary. You need people like that. Even C.S. Lewis, the famous quote is, you know, a friend is somebody where you're talking about something and they're like, oh, I love that too. And you're like, oh, I thought I was the only one that love that thing. Oh, we're friends. Lewis is talking about this type of friendship. Then the third type is a friend of virtue. This is a friendship that exists between two people of a common status and values and perspective of the world. That was really important to him. It was like the high, that you are equal people that have the same, not just things that you like, but the same views and values for how the world works. And that relationship is based on affection, like I love this person. It's based on loyalty, I'll be there, I'll show up, I'll do all that stuff. And trust, like I you know, can give them my secrets, I can go to them for advice, that kind of friend, a friend of virtue. This is like you know, Chandler and Phoebe, Monica, Ross, Rachel. Together, they were friends of virtue. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you too, right? Y'all, some of y'all were alive in the 80s and, you know, born in the 80s, lived in the 90s. These are friends of virtue. And what's fascinating, there's a few things fascinating about this, and I will read the Bible in a second, is that we often try to press Christian community into one of those types. Like, 
Christian community is a group where I get my needs met. Or Christian community is like, oh, we, is I need to be part of the church and then find somebody who likes the things that I like. And then I'm like, have a, a purpose or a place in a church. Or friends of, I need to find people who are like me, who like what I like, who have the same values and the sets of things, and then we can build some loyalty and trust. But the message of Jesus creates uh, a whole other type of friendship. I'm going to call it Christian community or, I, or gospel friendship. Friendship that is bound by not a like or pleasure, a thing in the middle, but what binds it all together is the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's exactly what this letter is, is broadly all about. The other types of friendship are wonderful. You should have friends like that. Have friends that have pickup trucks. Have friends that like the things that you like. That's really, have friends that are really similar to you. Like, that's really great. If you get one of those friends in your life, you've hit the jackpot. But none of those things actually cure loneliness. None of those things fill that huge void. And this letter that Paul writes, he's following the formula that the Greeks have for friendship letters. They had formulas on what you're supposed to do. And he follows the formula, except he twists it and he tweaks it in all of these different ways to reveal something different entirely. And so in the beginning of of a friendship letter, you have this thanksgiving and prayer, which is what we'll see together. And I think if we are able to grab hold of this gospel friendship, of this Christian community, not only will we find fruit and life together that we couldn't even dream of, but also we would become a kind of people that would be displaying the most attractive qualities of the gospel to our city, uh, and that we could actually meet the, the most pressing need that our city has. I think the most strategic thing we can do uh, to meet the needs of this city is to be people that display gospel friendship and welcome people into it. It's like the main, it's the most strategic thing we could do. And so it's a good sermon today, I think. So this is the passage. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. It says this. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify himself how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is God's word. Paul starts with thankfulness, which is very common. That's part of the formula. You say, hey, I'm writing to you. This letter is to you. And then in the formula, you would say, and I'm really thankful for you because you do this, this, and this. 
That's the, the process of the formula. Except Paul changes it entirely and says, I thank God for you. The friend doesn't get thanked at all. The church, eventually they get thanked for the blanket and the money that they send him. But for now, he doesn't thank them. And the moment that you're supposed to thank is like, I thank God for you. Every time he remembers, every time he's going about his day and he thinks about these people, he doesn't think about, oh, I wonder what they're doing. He thinks of how thankful he is to God for them. That's the big twist. And what is he thankful for? Why is he thankful to God for? He says he's thankful to God because of their partnership that they share in the gospel. This is the word partnership is koinonia. It's this Greek word. Casey won't know anything about it because he didn't grow up in this Christian subculture. But those of you who did, koinonia, it was like name of coffee shops in the early 2000s. It was name of youth groups and stuff because it's fellowship. The word for fellowship. And what we typically think as Christians of fellowship is like even the the churches that my dad pastored when I was a little kid, they had a room in it called the fellowship hall. Anyone ever see a church like that? Did you have a fellowship hall? Yeah. And the fellowship hall is we're just tables and cheap chairs kind of like these, maybe without the cushions. And And it's the room where people would just hang out and just kind of exist You would have potlucks and you would just, and we typically think fellowship is just hanging out together. That's not the word at all. The word is partnership. Essentially that I am bound to another person for a great purpose. You can even think about when you join a fellowship in academia or something like that, and you get into this program where there's a cohort of you and you're all fellows together pursuing a degree and learning or research purpose together. That's a fellowship. The same is true. The best example of all examples is what Tolkien wrote in his Lord of the Rings when he describes the fellowship of the rings. It's in the title of the first book, the first movie. And that fellowship isn't, oh, look at us. We're dwarfs and we're hobbits and we're men and we're elves and we're sitting around together, having our tea, having our food. In fact, Tolkien is explaining something that's different about friendship, that his view of friendship In the Shire, the hobbits, like go along with me, remember, if you will, the movies. But in the Shire, you have these hobbits that just sit around and they drink and they eat and they steal vegetables from this one guy. And that is their life. That's a friendship of virtue that Aristotle describes. But I mean, the significance is profound. That when they're all in that room and the ring is there and they say, I'm going to take it to Mordor and the rest of them say, yes, I'm going to go with you. That is a fellowship because now they're linked together for the rest of their lives until that ring is destroyed. That is what Paul is saying. I'm thankful to God that we are now bound as partners in the gospel. That's like, pretty remarkable. Gospel friendship or the, the deepest level of Christian community is, uh, is when it's collaborative towards a transcendent purpose. And we can exist here in circles and have different relationships that are all lovely and fun. But this, what Paul is saying is, I'm thankful that we have a transcendent existence together, that we are going somewhere on a journey. Cause creates community. That's why Seinfeld and Friends in the end is just kind of lame. 
You know, at the end of Seinfeld, they have the same conversation that they had in the pilot. And that was kind of on purpose. The end of the, I'm going to spoil friends for the two of you that haven't seen it. But the very end of like, it was like 10 seasons, right? And they're spending like a million dollars per character, per episode. All at the very end, they're like, let's go get coffee. It was like, that's the circle. That's the loop. It's kind of, nobody moves forward really, especially Joey. Joey's exactly where he was at the very beginning. Cause actually creates a significant community. Purpose, we need it. Paul says, I'm so thankful that we are all together participants and partakers of the gospel. What is the transcendent purpose? He goes on to say, it's like, you know, I pray for you always with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this. This is the the confidence and the purpose of all of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The transcendent purpose or the journey that they are on is to see the work of God that started in them be complete and to be whole. And and it talks about this this imagery of the one who started the good work will carry it on. The image of a person that's, I'm going to carry this burden, kind of like Frodo. I really did not intend to talk about. This is not my notes. Anyway, it's like the same way. He's carrying the purpose. Who's carrying it? God is carrying it. Where to? To the very end where, where at the end of times, you will be transformed a completing of the cause. That is the journey that you are on. One of the fascinating things just about this intricate sentence that he's building is that he's saying that there's not a single moment in your life that God isn't carrying you on towards a complete wholeness in him. That there's not a single part of your life story that God is not carrying on the purpose that he started within you which was to make you a son and a daughter, to make you the righteousness of God. And really, this might sound strange, but there is something that you have to understand about Jesus to understand Christian community. That Jesus didn't just save you once, like, oh, he saved me back then from all my sins. I was so great. That's true, and that is good. He did save us. And it's not that the gospel is just that he will save us one day. One day, all evil will be taken away. I'll be there with the tree and the city and we'll be singing and we will be saved from the effects of sin in this world. But also the message of Jesus is that he is at work right now saving us. This is from one degree to the next. He's removing sin and brokenness and he's taking us towards healing. He is transforming us one degree to the next. How? By himself through his own death and resurrection. That we are right now being made by God in the gospel. We are being saved. Uh, To kind of summarize Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, I'm going to summarize a whole book right now. He says the Christian community actually begins at the cross and at the tomb. And you can imagine yourself, just think if you, you know, you could all, we could all get transported there and we're looking at the cross and we're like, this is so wonderful. I mean, it's tragic and it's wonderful. This is the grace of God to me that is, that is saving me. 
And then you look to the tomb and you're like, this is, this is how God was victorious over all death for me. And I, this is the source of all power and confidence that I could ever have in this world. And what Bonhoeffer basically describes as Christian community is it's that moment that you look to the right and you look to the left and you're like, oh, he did it for you too. And that you're not just there in front of a cross, but you're there with the multitude and the community. That is Christian community. And then you're thankful and you say, God didn't just save me. He saved all of us into a life together. See, this community isn't based on we're all at the same level of excellence and maturity and skill and class and status. No, this community is based on we're all at the same level of grace. Christian community is marked by thankfulness. Gospel friendship is I'm thankful for what God has done in you and what he's going to keep doing in you. And I'm going to get to receive all of that grace from you, all of that transformation that happens in you. I get to see it up close. And so I'm filled with joy every time I think about it. In Greek friendship, thankfulness was based on performance. I'm thankful for you because you did a good job. I'm thankful for you because you wrote me a letter. I'm thankful for you because you invited me to your house. Christian thankfulness is based on what God has already done and will do through you. So that's the first one that thing that makes a difference. But there's more. There's also affection. He says, I have a love for you in my heart. I carry you in my heart. I have an affection for you in the same way that that Christ has affection. He says again, that we're partakers in this gospel together, that we get to share the spoils of the gospel. The, the, the partakers is kind of like we all receive the dividend whenever the, the check is cashed of all redemptive history. And so I, I carry you in my heart. It's kind of the image of when pirates go and they finally find the treasure and they bring it back to the ship and they split it all up. Paul is saying, we get to split up all the treasure, the, all the treasure of heaven. But he's linking it to the stuff that he does. He says, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm defending or confirming the gospel, whether I'm in court or whether I'm explaining the gospel to people in someone's home, we are all sharing in that grace together. We share it all. And why? Because he has them in his heart. And he says this funny thing, like, it's right for me to feel this way about you. He's like, don't think it's weird. You might think it's weird that I love you this much. You might think, oh, this is some weird codependence triangulation thing. I want to, you know, maybe we need some boundaries here. It's like, he's like, it's not weird. I should love you this way. And then he says, God's my witness. I yearn for you. I long for you in the same way that Christ has affection. And what is Christ's affection? In John chapter 15, Jesus is at the last meal with his disciples and he's teaching to them. It's lots of red letters and lots of Jesus talking. But in the middle of it, he says, as the father has loved me, So I have loved you, his disciples. And so you should love one another to make my joy complete, is what Jesus says. And what he's saying is, he's like, remain in my love. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have this unconditional, constant, never-ending, always reproducing love for one another. That's the the pre-existing, co-existing Trinitarian reality 
is that God is constantly loving one another in the Trinity. And what Jesus is saying is that same love you've now been brought into the middle of and the love that the Father has for me and that I have for you, you're there so you could remain in it. And then Jesus says, there's no greater love than this, than a friend who lays down his life for another friend. That's the affection of Christ. And Paul is saying, I have that affection for you. Aristotle's friendship affection, which is a key part of the best type of friends in his mind is, oh, we have the same values and we have the same common pursuits. We can be friends. But gospel friendship is, oh, we've been pursued by the same God who surrendered all value in his pursuit of us. And then God gave us the treasures of heaven and we're all sharing the spoils together. That's gospel friendship. That's different, right? Christian community is different. And in this other way, that affection hasn't come from we love the same thing. It's not like, oh, I love you because we love the same thing. The, it doesn't come from what that friend does from you. Oh, I love you because you bring the best you know, casserole to the thing. It doesn't come from what that other person can do for you. Christian community and the affection that it's marked by, the, the love that we have for one another is bound by, oh, we're loved by the same thing. So instead of, oh, we love the same thing, it's, oh, we've been loved by the same Savior. That's Christian friendship. But then there's like, what do we do? Those are all great things. I feel good. I feel uh, untimely warmed, or actually it's really hot already. What's the activity of this friendship? It's a little surprising. In verse 9, he says, and this is my prayer, that the activity of gospel friendship is prayer. I think that's surprising. I think I would have thought if I had to write a book on like Christian friendship, I would say, oh, the activities are about being together or the activity is about Bible study. You got to have Bible study or the activity is meal trains. You know, when somebody is sick or in the hospital or has a baby or any, you know, you give them meals. That's, that's an, a crucial activity. And all those are really good things. So we should all keep doing them. Especially when I'm sick in the hospital, you should bring meals to me, you know. But, but the pinnacle of gospel friendship is prayer. So much so that who you pray for and who you're actively praying for reveals to you who your friends are. Who you're praying for, who you're going to, and like, God, I, I just, you know, bring them before God. Those are your friends. Because to be a person who understands all of this about Jesus means, oh, the greatest way I could ever love someone if I have that affection for them is to bring them before the very presence of God in my mind, in my heart. And so Paul prays. He prays for one thing in verse nine. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you would be pure and blameless, that you would all the way until the day of Christ, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
He's, he's praying, I want, I want you to know this deep, long, faithful love. That a kind of love that, that everything is talking, that you would have this knowledge of it. And it's really, it's the, the, the academic knowledge that you would know God's love in the same way that you know two plus two. And that it would inform everything about you, that it would give you from that place of understanding the affirmation that God has for you, the, the sense of knowing your, your identity that you have in Christ and the, the way in which you are marked forever as the beloved one of God, that if you knew that, he's saying, you would be able to discern all of life. So he's like, I just want you to know that you are loved. And he says that, that you would be pure and blameless. And it's not like, some sort of purity culture of like a person with white gloves and a ring and who's a virgin. And it's like, that's what he's praying is that they would be pure. No, he's talking the pure and blameless is the language of the lamb. That you would be like the, the lambs that are described in the Old Testament who have a heart that isn't divided, that knows who it is, that knows what it's for, that knows who protects it, that knows who cares for it, that knows who feeds it. Or as Jesus says, you know, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my name and I know them and I call them by name. He's like, I want you to know God's love for that. And then he says, though, that it would abound and produce fruit in your life and in this world, you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's a love. Sometimes we think about love as a deep well that you could dig in your backyard, you know, and, and the more you know about God, the deeper that well gets. So you get more and more water out of it. But really he's describing a fountain like the Bellagio or something where just water is spilling and, and spreading and going everywhere. I just want you to know, I'm desperate for this prayer over my life. I'm desperate for people to pray, ah, Brad, God, I pray for Brad that he would know your love deeper and deeper. I like need that prayer in my life. And I think you do too. I think you need people when we're like, oh, will you pray for Casey as an elder? Don't pray for him to make good decisions or figure out our Google Drive, which is a mess or any of those things. Pray for Casey to know God's love and that it would abound over and over again. And then the aim of this friendship, what's the purpose? What's the whole point? He says that all of this would be to the glory and the praise of God. Gospel community is not about getting through life. It's not about having someone who will be there for you because you've already had someone there for you. It isn't about quenching loneliness, though that's an incredible byproduct of it. The aim of all of it, the goal of it, is the glory and the praises of God forever. Kurt Vonnegut, writer, great mustachioed person, says, and I've quoted this a lot just because it's, it's one of my life quotes, like the Ernest Hemingway one. He says, what should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously, but the most daring thing, like the most brave thing that you could do is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness 
can be cured. Our city is amazing. Like, it really is. I love it. It's not just the Lakers that I love. It's not just the cool hat that the Dodgers have. I don't really love the Dodgers. I just like the hat. That's an example of need friendship. Uh, I love the, the passion that people have in this city. I love that in this city, people come here to try to make a mark on the world. Like, I haven't met anybody that's like, ah, I just came here just because. It's like they want to make a mark on the world. This is a place where people come to imagine. And one of the hardest places to survive, they might actually thrive. It's amazing, right? The audacity of this city. But one of its greatest needs is to actually have the disease of loneliness cured. People have like these Aristotle types of friends. That's what we have. We go and we network and we have this relationship with that person so that they can get us in the room of that thing and they could see our work. And we have those kinds of friends or we make friends who can help us get investments and those sorts of things. That kind of, we have friends of pleasure of like, oh, like we're friends because we all like, you know, the same thing. Like I have many friends because we like the same basketball team. Like that's it. And then we have friends where, and there's groups of people and the city's segmented this way uh, so that you can find these little pockets like Culver City or Santa Monica or Inglewood or Lamert Park or all of these spots where you can get together and you can say, we agree on everything in life. We have the exact same politics. We have the same worldview. We all went to the same schools. You know, it's pretty, UCLA up here, USC down there, Right? We all went to the same schools. We all think about everything the exact same way. They city filled with those friends and those groups. And yet, the, the like common refrain constantly is, I am deeply lonely in this place of millions of people. What if we committed ourselves to be a Christ-centered gospel community where we engage the kind of friendship that we described, where we welcome people into an environment where we're thankful to the creator of the universe who sustains it. And we're thankful to that God because he gave us you. Like, imagine that. Or where people were welcomed into a community or a relationship where we have affection for one another that is rooted in the person of Jesus not what we can all do for each other. Or where we're brought into a community where we're all partners in seeing the world made new together by his power and for his glory. Now we're all committed together to do whatever else we could do. I think that if we were able to do that, we would serve and bless the city in meeting its greatest need. You know, when a medic shows up to the scene of a really bad accident, you know what they do? They find the biggest need in that accident and they meet it. Like that's what they're trained to do. Or when a firefighter arrives at a building on fire, what they do is they start putting the fire out. Did y'all know that? It's one of the deep comforting parts of my life. Or when a hungry man shows up at the soup kitchen, the soup kitchen gives that man food, right? You all tracking with things? But the medic, when it arrives, 
You know, they don't meander around and like, you know what, we should build a garden next to this accident. Let's plant some stuff. Or when the firefighter shows up, they don't start, you know, serving food to the people who are watching the fire, because we all love to watch, you know, disasters happen. The firefighter doesn't do that. When the person shows up to the soup kitchen, they don't like hose them down or show them a movie or something, right? No, because they were there in a moment with a gift and with an ability to meet a crucial need. And so they meet that need first. So church, like the crucial need of the moment is chronic loneliness. And the gospel is the fundamental radical cure And we've been given all of the power, all of the grace to meet that need. How? By existing in the love that God has already given us and the fruit of the gospel. So let's go, yeah? Let's go and let's be. Jesus, we thank you for uh, you calling us your friends and that you laid your life down for us. It is the greatest love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.